Welcome back, friends and listeners. Uh, my name is Casey Siddons, and this is Pandemic Pass. Uh, this is part two of episode four called The Way Out. If you missed part one of this episode, be sure to, as the kids say nowadays, smash that subscribe button, and uh, or you can just download it. But uh, I'd prefer you to subscribe, of course. Uh, subscribe to us anywhere you get your... Uh, your podcast, whether it's iTunes or Overcast or anywhere you um, get them on Spotify, uh, the more subscriber, subscribers we have, the, the the more folks can find us everywhere. So um, I, I hope you enjoyed part one. Part one with uh, we, it was kind of a flashback from uh, interviewing Bobby Scott, uh, Congressperson Bobby Scott, with the whole Ed's Not Dead crew. This is just me, so. You know, you'll just get me on uh, one-on-one with our next interview. This is part two, as I said. And in part two of this episode, I'm working my way from from basically the federal level, which was last part, and now to a more local level, where politics, I think, truly matters on a granular level. Uh, I had the tremendous opportunity to talk with Maryland State Delegate Janelle Wilkins, who actually lives and represents District 20 in and around Silver Spring, Maryland, right right around where I live. So, you know, I'm a little biased because she's kind of my representative. Uh, I, don't, I don't, she's not actually in my district, but, um, you know, we, uh, I basically live in Silver Spring. So uh, Delegate Wilkins is uh, truly an, an uh, outstanding person. I, I only got to speak to her for a little while. It was the day of the inauguration, so... I didn't want to take her away from from that experience, and I certainly wanted to watch it myself. So, you know, our conversation wasn't too long, but I thought it was really fruitful. Uh, Delegate Wilkins was actually, she was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and she moved to the United States with her mother and brother when she was five years old. Uh, she is a true community and public servant, and I think you will get the same feelings that I do when you hear this interview. She is so genuine. And focused on how much good she can do for the greatest amount of her constituents. I am certainly, as I said, a bit biased because she is basically my, uh, I, I consider her my hometown representative at the state level and believes in, in really all the things that I personally believe in, which, you know, includes raising the minimum wage, uh, providing for earned sick leave for workers, protecting our environment, and of course, you know, what this podcast and Ed's Not Dead is all about, improving our public schools, but she has a front seat view in what the state and local efforts are looking like in terms of moving beyond this pandemic and building back our schools in the near and long term for all of our kids. And I know maybe I'm using this uh, this phrase too many times in this podcast series, but you know we talk about the thirty thousand foot view of of Maryland uh, in terms of their response to the pandemic. We talk about what kind of what kind of resources need to come from the federal and also the governor's mansion to, to help schools out. Um, and we talk about the, the, the learning losses that have been exacerbated in our minoritized communities and the legislation that she and her colleagues are trying to pursue. And then lastly, uh, we also talk about, um, it's not totally connected to the pandemic, but I think it's important. And, and, and anytime we talk with legislatures, uh, legislators, I should say. We, I think, teachers and and folks that are involved in education policy and and are, have an interest in this 
need to bring this up. Um, where the recruitment and retention of, of teachers of color fit into every single state's uh, legislative efforts, and, and what we specifically talk about what Maryland could do better statewide to improve a more diverse representation of teachers. So I hope you enjoy this this interview with Delegate Wilkins. I certainly did, and, and I'm hoping to get her back on the regu- the, the main pod. Uh, as soon as possible because she is she is going places so enjoy and we'll talk to you on the flip side delegate wilkins thank you so much for joining us on the pandemic pass Uh, i'm so excited to have you on the show and and have a fellow marylander to join us on this on this side pod of ed's not dead um, so 30,000 foot view, where, where are Maryland school districts in terms of their responses to the pandemic? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation. Maryland school districts are really just doing the best that they can when it comes to the pandemic response and operating on the best information that they have. As you know, we really left it to the jurisdictions, um, many of the decisions in terms of when to open, how to operate, the implementation of virtual learning. So we're actually seeing um, somewhat different actions being taken by the jurisdictions. I mean, you look at Montgomery County, um, which is the area that I represent, and we just announced, our MCPS just announced that we're going to delay in-person learning until at least March 15th. And then you look at a jurisdiction like Baltimore, that um, was planning to to fully reopen, but is now looking at K through five specifically reopening next month, and then a place like Hartford County, where you're you're seeing them decide that you know what, based on the numbers that we're seeing when it comes to coronavirus, we are not um, going to have any in in person learning taking place. So three completely right. very different jurisdictions, <laughs> somewhat different um, um, stances based on the best information that they have and. There are many issues that are taking place, but of course, the in-person versus versus virtual is probably the top issue that's happening in in every jurisdiction. And and so, as we think about you know this disparate uh, approach to how we have you know operate schools, wh- what do you see uh, Maryland needing from the federal government, but also from the governor's office in order for schools to really emerge from this this crisis? That's a great question, and I think a very appropriate one for today, as we're we're talking on inauguration day. And yes. <laughs> part by saying probably the number one thing is some actual guidance and accountability and support from the federal government, yes. as opposed to an approach that's open, 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 open the schools back up without any regard for the numbers or any regard for public safety and public health. I think that having an actual thoughtful approach that is outside of a political pressure to to reopen from the federal government, (laughs) I think just that would be a um, big step up. But outside of that, um, funding is huge. Um, You know, Money is not everything, but money is definitely needed in this time when the state is cash strapped. Right. A lot of struggling learners that we want to support with um, small group and and one on one instruction and tutoring. Um, Our teachers are burnt out. 
We really are going to need to have some high level recruitment and get additional support um, for the upcoming uh, upcoming school year and the summer to make sure that we are able to support our students. Right. Um, We're going to need mental health support because of all that our students are going through. And so there are so many different areas um, where our students and teachers need need support that our federal government and funding and just having a comprehensive plan and support mechanism from the federal level would be so useful. Sure, sure. And, and as you mentioned, our, our, you know, our students, students across the board have suffered from this crisis, from the school shutdowns and continue to experience, uh, you know, I, I hate to use mm-hmm. this, uh, the, the word that's thrown around and bandied about the learning loss. You know, there's a lot of debate yeah. about, you know, it, how much learning loss and should we even care about the learning loss? Um, it, it's certainly exacerbated in our minorita- minoritized communities. What kind of legislation do you think you are, you and your colleagues are considering in order to alleviate these losses in the coming months and years ahead? Absolutely. So as, as you know, we're in session. This is the second week of session and it has been a busy, busy time. We usually start off with, with a slow trickle, but not this Fire <laughs> um, hose. Yes, exactly. That's what it definitely feels like. Um, So I think the number one thing is our override of the blueprint for Maryland's future has to take place, has to happen. That included equitable funding or education expansion, um, expanding career and technical opportunities, hiring more teachers. The, the governor vetoed that legislation last year. And so hands down, number one is that our landmark education legislation overriding it. Yeah. I think it's also really important. I think that what we're going to see is legislation and supports dealing with trauma, mental health, right. counselors. So for example, I have a bill that it's focused on school resource officers in, 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 in terms of um, the $10 million that our state mandates to school resource officers. Right. Please shifting those funds and reprioritizing that $10 million towards trauma services, towards our school counselors, towards mental health, which in this time right now is so, so needed. So I think um, you'll, you'll see us really looking at and exploring legislation, dealing with those types of supports. But then also um, legislation that deals with virtual learning directly, learning loss, summer um, tutoring support, uh, access to computers and internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So in addition to overriding the blueprint, I think you'll see another probably comprehensive bill that really deals with virtual learning and the challenges we've had over the pandemic directly. That's, I mean, that's huge. And and as you know, I mean, the, the amount of counselors to student ratio is, is sorely lacking across the country. You know, in Maryland, I feel like we have better education funding than most. But, uh, you know, I think one of the silver linings, and we'll talk about this, of this crisis is, I think more people are, are more comfortable to talk about mental health challenges and they're more, even mm-hmm. kids are, are definitely more open to talk about these things. So I, that, that's going to be huge. And I appreciate you pushing that for sure. Uh, my next question is about, uh, it, it's not necessarily connected to pandemic paths uh, and, and getting uh, beyond COVID, but I think it's super important in how we move beyond because there's already a, a dearth of, a, of mm-hmm. teachers coming into the field. So Recently, Speaker of the Maryland House of Delegates, Adrian Jones, revealed an, an ambitious and long overdue agenda of pro-Black policies and legislative items for Maryland lawmakers to work on. Where does the recruitment, requisite pay, and retention of teachers of color fit into this? And what can Maryland do to better statewide to improve the diverse representation of teachers? 
That's a great question. And I am just so proud of Speaker Jones for leading in this way to really plot out a, a Black agenda, which is something that a speaker in the, in the history of our state has never done before. Yep. Yep. And when it comes to the issues dealing with teachers and, and pay, we actually address that in the blueprint. And that would have continued to be implemented without the governor's veto. So when it comes That's to- great. Um, yes, we worked very closely with teachers around developing the blueprint for Maryland's future. And one of the big issues is that we saw that our teachers make 84 cents on the dollar compared with other um, jurisdictions across the country and the wow. world, really, that they were being severely underpaid. So we put in some state resources to match it with some local jurisdiction resources to increase teacher pay 10 percent and to continue to increase it. We we also included um, areas for professional growth where teachers yeah. can actually have a, a track for professional advancement um, so that we can help retain them because we're seeing that after the third year, a lot of our teachers are gone and we, we want yeah. to enable them with opportunities um, to have a very clear track. You know, after your third year, if you're meeting this criteria, mm-hmm. that you get this kind of promotion, not only for financial um, to, to make more money and financial gain, but to also, you know, have a, a bump in your, your status and in, right. in being a, a teacher. So we did um, work on, it might not be in her blueprint direct or in her agenda directly, but in terms of recruitment and retention, that was something that we had outlined in the blueprint. The other, the other big piece of it was working with our HBCUs as well yes. and recruitment with teacher diversity, that's been a huge issue in the Maryland General Assembly. I think you'll see, continue to see legislation on that. But one of the ways that we decided to address it was to really partner with our HBCUs around recruitment. Um, yeah. We're just seeing that the diversity in our in our teachers is really lacking in a lot of areas. Yeah, and it's certainly going to help that we have uh, Kamala Harris, a Howard University graduate, HBCU graduate in, in office in the next four years to really Absolutely. push for more support for HBCUs. So that's, that's great. Yes. Um, so my, my closing question for you is, uh, for all these interviews I've been doing with stakeholders is, you know, we, we tend to focus on negative pieces of the pandemic and there are certainly a lot. Um, but, but what do you, what have you seen and experienced with your constituents and, and, and folks around you that tells you that uh, of like a silver lining of what's going on? Wow. Yes, it definitely helps to think through some of the more positive aspects Um, I think (laughs) there's more of an appreciation for just family and life and health and gratitude Yes, that we've all had to slow down a number of ways. Although in some ways the (laughs) work has increased (laughs) virtual, but I think that there's just a general appreciation for family time, for our health and just um, the ability to spend more time together. Right. I'm I'm definitely hearing and seeing from constituents that I speak with. And that's something that we might never have the opportunity to have this much um, you know, time with our with our loved ones again. So Yeah. And and a lot of time to make a, a lot of different bread recipes too, right? Very true. <laughs> that too. Well, uh, Delegate Wilkins, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I'm so proud that you are uh, a representative in our in our county and in our state. And uh, I know we're going to see a lot of, of great work and, and uh, lawmaking from you all and you specifically. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. No problem. Thanks again for having me. And welcome back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation with 
delegate Janelle Wilkins uh, from District 20 in Maryland. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I, I, you know, although it was a short conversation, you know, I, I didn't want to keep her from the inauguration of Joe Biden, which I wanted to see myself and wanted to take time to actually take in the moment as it was happening. So I didn't realize that when I scheduled the conversation that it was on Inauguration Day, uh, that would be one strike for, no, probably two strikes for me because as a social studies teacher, I should have had that marked off on my calendar way ahead of time. Um, so we'll add that to the list with all the Civil War inaccuracies that I've gotten over the last couple months. Um, so uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Delegate Wilkins. Please make sure that you click that subscribe button that really helps others find find us uh in a really demonstrable demonstrably positive way so um uh, again subscribe check us out on ednotdead.com and uh check out the previous uh episodes of pandemic pass or it's not dead episodes if you have uh, even a small amount of liking to what you're hearing uh leave me feedback on ednotdead.com and itunes uh, give us a five-star review if you can and we'll talk to you again for part three Talk to you later. Thank you for joining us on Pandemic Pass. Pandemic Pass is a pulp education production and was written and directed by me, Casey Siddons. Music was written and performed by Peter Crable. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us.